you know, you can wake up one day and say, this is what I think our process should be and how our customers should move through our funnel. But if that's not how they're moving through the funnel, you've got the wrong process. And ultimately you're capturing and tagging the wrong data. So it's a little bit of an art and science and a little balancing there, but ultimately, right, you wanna take what you have for data to help shape your process knowing it might not be fully complete and it might be very directional, but then ultimately building your processes out based on the customer experience that you're hoping to create, the seller experience you need to create and the process that is producing the data that you need. This is Reveal the Revenue Intelligence Podcast, here to help go-to-market leaders do one thing, stop guessing. If you're ready to unlock reality and reach your full potential, then this show is for you. I'm Danny Wasserman, coming to you from the Gong Studios. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Welcome back to Reveal in the Gong Studios. Danny the Rev Wasserman here, talking to you today about someone who has spent an exhaustive amount of time in the world of RevOps. We've got Molly Bodensteiner in the house this week. She's the head of RevOps over at Sound Agriculture. And one of the things that I love about Molly's entire philosophy is that, yes, you need good data to effectively, to responsibly run your business. And she defines good data as this idea that it is consistent in what it is revealing there is absolutely unquestionable, bulletproof, ironclad integrity to the data. And what precedes being able to reliably secure that stream of good data, you need a good process. So in the chicken or the egg debate, Molly is decisively telling you that the process must come first. And you'll know that your process is in good working order when you start getting that steady feed of data coming out the other end. Along the way, I also really appreciated Molly's philosophy on spiffing. For those who aren't familiar, yes, we have a sales performance incentive fund. Well, we love to spiff our sellers, but Molly believes that you should not spiff sellers to do their job. She'll tell you more in the episode about what looks like a good spiff. I've said too much. You don't want to hear from me. You want to hear from Molly. So it's time for me to shut up and tell you, DJ, spin that. Ladies and gents, welcome back to Reveal in the Gong Studios. Danny Wasserman here, joined today by a guest who knows RevOps backwards and forwards with a career that spans years leading RevOps for numerous different organizations. And I count at least half a dozen board seats, and or advisory roles on her LinkedIn, which she tells me is not even the full extent to which she is influencing the next great companies out there. In the house, we've got head of revenue operations for Sound Agriculture, Molly Bodensteiner. Molly, welcome to Reveal. Hey, thanks for having me today, Danny. Glad, glad to be here. And thanks for the kind introduction. Of course. Well, as someone who speaks RevOps fluently, one of the things I kind of want to unpack first is this idea of chicken or egg. And when I talk about chicken or egg, let's talk about process and data, both of which make anyone who's in sales, it makes their skin crawl because it just feels like a nuisance. But I want to understand from your perspective, your authority. Well, do you start with process, which then informs how you collect data? Do you actually use the data to then inform how you architect the process? Walk us through that a bit. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it definitely is a chicken and an egg. And, you know, a lot of this is going to be the tagline for all operations as it depends. Um, and I think a lot of this depends on where you're at as a company and a maturity. Coming in as, you know, an early stage organization, you likely don't have a lot of data. 
to work off of, but you've got some that should ultimately help inform inform your process um, and start to build that. But as later stage companies, right, you you likely have a little bit more. If you don't have the concern with this, right, though, is that if you don't have consistent process, you don't have consistent data, right? Mm-hmm. And so you have to take that with a grain of salt as you know direction versus truth. Um, but ultimately, using using what you can to define a process, right? Um, you know, you can wake up one day and say, "This is what I think I think our process should be, and how our customers should move through our funnel." But if that's not how they're moving through the funnel, you've got the wrong process, mm-hmm. and ultimately, you're capturing and tagging the wrong data. So, um, it's it's a little bit of an art and a science, and a little balancing there. But ultimately, right, you want to take take what you have for data to help help shape shape your process, knowing. It might not be fully complete and it might be very directional, but then ultimately building your processes out based on the customer experience that you're hoping to create, the seller experience you need to create, and the process that is producing the data that you need. And thinking about the maturity of an organization, obviously correlating to the, we'll say, reliability, dependability of the process. Earlier in an organization's evolution, when you are thinking more about chicken or egg, hey, do we have the right process? We're iterating. Might be more art than science. Well, I think about the profile of a seller who wants to be a builder, who wants to go to a pre-seed, a series A, series B, who appreciates the wild west of being unbridled in their latitude and freedom to creatively express themselves however they see fit as a seller. Well, in those moments... Inherently, if you come in as RevOps and say, well, hey, we know that we're trying to figure things out, looking for product market fit, but we need to standardize. We need to institute process. I could speak for myself that that would make me bristle and shape. Like, who is Molly? God, get out of my way. I'm being successful. Cowboys and the sheriff, right? Totally. It's the Wild West. And I came to the Wild West for a reason. I didn't want to go to AWS or Oracle because the idea of being restricted to the playpen of this linear sort of assembly line, Henry Fordian style. That that would make me absolutely blow my brains out. Well, talk to me about what is that tipping point from when you reach a point where Wild West is no longer going to cut it and how do you comfortably begin instituting structure for the sake of the organization, but perhaps at the expense of the sellers that want to be left alone? Yeah, and I think part of that's right is like, if you want to grow and you want to scale, you've got you've to actually know what works and what doesn't work and make sure you're capitalizing on on the parts of the business that work really well and not yeah. creating the same same mistakes for the things that don't. And I mean, that's just, that's reason and logic. And I, I like to think that most, most sellers, regardless of, you know, if they're, if they're cowboys or they're, you know, I don't know what the opposite of a cowboy is, but yeah. um, are generally reasonable. And I think part of that from an ops perspective, it's that, you know, process doesn't have to be something that is so prohibitive of yeah. being able to do what you need to do. Right. I think when you're thinking about um, thinking about the experience you're creating and why why you have process, there's got to be key things that you've got to capture from that, which you need to be able to drive the business forward. And that doesn't mean I need to log absolutely every single activity or every single touch point or every single thing like that based on you know the size of the business I am. But it does mean that I probably need to capture you know what products they're interested in, what were the pricing conversations that we had, right? Those key business pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, that matter. One of the things I worked for a company years ago that everything was relational, right? Um, the way, and we, I say relational, like um, that's new, right? But it was face-to-face meetings. It was, you know, meeting um, 
meeting with farmers, right? And so everything was very much like you worked on my dad's farm, you became, you know, our rep through this. And mm-hmm. um, when you think about succession, you think about, you know, if somebody, hate to say it, gets hit by a bus one day, all of that institutional knowledge is in that person's head. Mm-hmm. What they purchased year over year, how they like to buy, where they want their checks sent. Like, what damage does that do to a business? Mm-hmm. And like, what's the um, business continuity that exists from that? And so I think a lot of that is, it's still process, it's still capture, it's still um, understanding, but it's doing it in a way that like helps you be successful. And generally, if your attitude is that you're trying to help somebody be successful um, and trying to make sure you're flexible, but they understand the why behind it, you're generally going to get that adoption. Mm-hmm. Now, if I come in, to an organization and I say, hey, Danny, you need to fill out 36 fields before you can move from pre-qualification to qualification. You're going to hate me. You're going to have a dartboard and throw, throw things at my face, right? Like, so it's it's a fine line of like, what is really, really important Yeah. and you need and why do you need it? And articulating that versus like, what's the nice to have, but not the need to have. Talk to me about, because we're talking about this idea of the farmer who's got the years, the decades of experience, and tragically, they're hit by the bus. You had said, hey, you know, we know our process is right when we're getting good data. And we're talking now about tribal knowledge. That's probably good data, but it's not a perfect linear transition from, great, let's just populate our CRM with what's in your brain. So talk to us about what good data looks and feels like. Yeah, I think one of the big things when you think about good data is it's more of like the consistency and the policy around okay. around the data, right? So I have good data that is like healthy and um, consistent, right? Across all my sellers that I can actually drive decisions off of and mm-hmm. aggregate and move forward, right? So I'm thinking something as simple as, let's just talk about states, right? Like that's such a basic thing. Um, if you don't have a pick list in your CRM for states, how many different variations of states can you have? How many people know how to spell Massachusetts? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, so thinking about just even being able to take and have clear, consistent data throughout that to say, hey, where's our, you know, where's our TAM located? What state has the most penetration? If you don't have normalized data, mm-hmm. you're going to have to normalize the data to do that. And I know that that's less of um, an input from from like a field sales or sales and more of like a backend data structure. But like, those are the types of things that you want to make sure you have from the process p- perspective. The other thing is, is when you think about KPIs and metrics mm-hmm. and you want to understand, you know, you've got volume, velocity, conversion rate, and aging. Like those are end activities you can throw in like the five key metrics that you're going to apply pretty consistently across your entire go-to-market mm-hmm. structure, right? If I'm trying to pull a lever, make an adjustment, it's going to be one one of those five things that I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. But if you have rep A and rep B who both have a different definition of what when to send a contract, mm-hmm. how do you fully aggregate and understand you know, what the true velocity is there, the comparison um, across the board, and you're going to have skewed results, right? So a lot of that is the consistency and process that then drives the output of the data, which you then can in turn use to churn different levers, different dials, and see if you can make impact. When you talk about there's so much premeditated thought that's going into this, right? That your process isn't right. You're getting crummy data that tells us, great, we got to go back to the process. And then within this process, we've got the five sacred KPIs that we're going to toggle back and forth. So ideally, right, this thing's baked before we start piping 
activity through it, which is going to produce the data. Tell me, once everything's premeditated and baked, how hard is it to then go back and tinker or tweak? Is it kind of this like all or nothing, like we're not going to ship until the process is fully understood and defined? Or is it more agile and organic? I think you want to be more agile and organic and probably pick the couple points. Like it's still good that you should map and understand what your process is. But especially if you're a lean team, you could spend six months trying to implement, you know, a full end to end life cycle, just technically, let alone like getting everyone aligned on definitions and that. So think about like, generally what I think is like, what are the key handoff points? Because those Mm -hmm. are generally the highest points of friction and highest um, points of inconsistency, right? So when you think about marketing qualified to sales and that handoff, right? Like making sure you've got the clear process, the clear accountability, um, the right SLAs in there. So people know, hey, I got an MQL. I actually need to probably do something with it. Yeah. Um, Maybe, or, you know, you're going to get the wrath of marketing. Um, And then looking at, you know, SDR handoff to AE is another one. Mm -hmm. And then the last one would be, you know, moving from AE to closed one to CS, right? Like those are generally your, what is that? Three big handoff pieces within within the funnel. I would say like, those are the ones you want to make sure are, are clear, are concise, have the right accountability on them and have the right um, infrastructure to understand, especially when you look at the ones that tie back to people's compensation. Um, that's one thing, like, I know we talk a lot about experience and experience obviously should be your forefront, but the best way to get people to do something you need them to do is when there's a dollar tied to it. Uh-huh. Right. Um, most people aren't, aren't working for free and want to make sure they can, they can capitalize on their on target earnings. So making sure it's really clear why they need to do those right pieces to make sure that they're, they're getting paid will also drive process adherence. And it's, you know, it's a stick and maybe a little carrot there, but still really important to, to look at. Well, double click into the idea of incentivizing people to, perform the right behaviors with money. And salespeople are so much more complex than being coin operated, but we all have human tendencies to be motivated and pulled by the opportunity to generate wealth for ourselves. When does it become, if you give a mouse a cookie or you're spiffing people out for the behavior that they should be doing anyways? I'm not spiffing Um, in this regard, right? It's like, these are the actions, like when you think about an SDR, right? You're... Uh You don't, you have to have a pre-qualified meeting. What does yeah. pre-qualified mean? It means these attributes are completed. It meets the skate check. It has the state of completion. It's yeah. deemed pre-qualified, right? Like yeah. that, that comes into it. Hey, sales, you're paid on a closed one. What does a closed one mean? All of these attributes, you know, yeah. that we need to hand off to CS, which ultimately should have been captured in your discovery, in your conversations yeah. to set the client up for success are completed. No, I'm not, I'm not spiffing people to, to close the run and get their deals. And I will say like most companies that I've worked with comp plans clearly state, like if you don't have the data properly captured, like you're not getting commissioned on the deal Mm. either. Right. If it's missing, missing key attributes. So in those regards, they tend to like validation rules that make sure they don't miss anything. Yeah. What do you think on the topic of spiffing? Because obviously their comp plans are structured in a way that encourages in the sort of SDR example, this is what a prequel looks like. But over and above their standard comp, are you for, are you against spiffing? Talk to us about that. I'm not going to spiff somebody to do their job. I think that that's like basic. I think the times that it makes sense to spiff is when you're incentivizing somebody to take a risk or do something differently that Mm. 
you know, potentially could have a negative impact if it doesn't work out, right? So like, yeah. let's say you're going into a different market. Mm-hmm. You're trying to go into a different industry. Like those are the things that I would, where you maybe don't have enough data to like fully know if it's going to work or not, right? Yeah. Hey, SDRs, I know you've typically been focused in FinTech. We're going to try to go to healthcare. We're going to give you $20 for every healthcare meeting you set up. It's like, they're going to have to put time, energy, and effort into that. Yeah. And it's like, it might work and it might not work. Um, so trying to give them a little bit more of a kicker to like drive that behavior. Okay. But also know like if it doesn't work, they might not hit their hit their other quota. So like being able to pay attention to those things. I think those are the time when more like spiffs come come into play when you're yeah. trying to do something that you're not sure you're not sure if it has legs or not and you want to see see where it goes. Okay. Let's go back to this idea of there's a point where you're getting signals in your process because the data is junky or it's inconsistent. Like, okay, sounds like we don't need to scrap the whole thing. We're not throwing the baby out with the bathwater, but we're going to organically exercise some agility to refine this. Talk to me about when you're like, wait, nope, this shit's just broken. Like, we, we got it wrong. What does that look like? How are sort of the symptoms manifesting themselves? And in particular, okay, if you find yourself in that sticky spot where the process is fundamentally broken, it's systemically rotten, well, how do you then realign? Presumably, you have to identify first the misalignment. So talk to us about that whole sleuthing. Yeah, absolutely. So if your process isn't supportive of like the customer experience, your process is broken, right? So Mm -hmm. one of the things to look at and pay attention to is like if you're building, so if you're an ops person. And you're coming in and saying like, this is our funnel. These are our steps and these are our stages. And you haven't sat next to a salesperson, to a CS person, like, and spent time with not just one, but several of them to say like, let me just watch you do your job. Mm. Let me listen to your calls. Let me, you know, go through like an entire end to end selling cycle. And sometimes that's harder to do if you have a longer sales cycle. But if you're generally running a 30 day sales cycle, like spend the 30 days and like, Go from, hey, inbound lead filled out this form. Here's the steps that the SDR did. Here's the, you know, and like more than one generally, right? Because one size doesn't fit all. But go end to end and look at like what what's the customer doing? What touch points are the reps doing to the customer, right? Like what are the things, you know, generally you can track online behavior, right? If somebody's filled out the demo form, we've got some cookie tracking. See what they're doing off cycle too. And mm-hmm. looking at that engagement to say like, okay, what, what is the you know typical experience that we're seeing? Yeah. Take a step back and saying, and say, okay, this is if this is what we're seeing, you know, Charlie customer doing. What are the things that he, Charlie's doing that we want Charlie to keep doing? But maybe what are the things that we don't want Charlie to keep doing? Or where could we potentially speed this up? Right. If yeah. we're seeing it's taking three calls to get over this objection handling, how do we simplify this into one call? Um, you know, where you know those types of pieces, which are Again, things that you can start to put into place to help optimize, but try to at least start to get some of those baselines, statuses, and stages, right? And it's less about, we check this box, now we move forward. It's more about, you know, the customer is thinking, feeling, believes this, now we move move forward. And this is what happens on the back end. Okay. Folks, one of the keys to boosting that bottom line is by collecting good data. And as you heard from Molly, to do that, you need to have a great process in place so you're not getting crummy, faulty, or misleading outputs. No choice around it. Well, get this from McKinsey. A study that they put out in 2021 found that 70% 
of companies will see an improvement in their bottom line if they concentrate on four key metrics, volume, velocity, conversion, and revenue. That was 70%. This is proof that focusing on the right metrics can enhance your net income. Separately from that McKinsey study, a 2022 survey from New Vantage Partners revealed that 85% of data scientists say the quality of their data is the biggest challenge they face. It just goes to show, Molly is spot on. Well, if we've got this challenge that's worth overcoming and it can improve your net income, who wouldn't want to go race to try and tackle that squirrely problem? Just goes to show that if you direct focus towards monitoring and obtaining quality data to increase bottom line, you can determine where your company is performing well separately, maybe where it needs to improve. Well, let's get back to Molly the expert and hear a little more. I want to shift gears a little bit and I think about you and your teams as the gatekeepers of the data. And you're making a lot of strategic decisions based on what the data is telegraphing. And inherently, you guys can be a robust team. You could even be a skeleton crew. But certainly, the volume of questions and requests that come in that bombard the ops team are generally overwhelming the supply of resources you guys have to field all those questions in real time. So you have solutions like business intelligence or even revenue intelligence that have begun to democratize some of that analysis because we have the ability to drag and drop and interrogate yep. questions with natural language processing. Long story long, I'm wondering, what are the questions that you and your team still reserve almost the exclusive either competency or right to answer versus what is now with the modern tech stacks that we have, what are the questions that you're now pushing back on, whether it's frontline managers or even the ICs to answer themselves? Yeah, I, I love that you asked that. And I, I still laugh, right? Because when we talk about AI and we talk about all these pieces that come in, like you still have to train a model and like yeah. you still have to know your process and know what's happening to like set it up to capture what you need it to capture. Um, so I still go back to like, that's not going to replace replace process. It might help optimize and help flag gaps, but like you've got to still yeah. feed the engine. Um, the right way. And when it comes to, I'm going to say something and every salesperson on this call might just yell at me, but I, if, I don't know that we're ever going to get into a world where a salesperson or sales manager is not just going to ask somebody to help build their reports for them or the things that they need for them yet. Um, maybe someday that will be, that'll be when I know that I made it. Um, cause I think that it's still every, you know, every day I get asked like, Hey, can you build, build this report or pull this data for me? Right. Um, and I think that's just a, it's not, it's, I think it's just a comfort thing more than anything. Like we just still haven't fully empowered people to be stewards of, of their information, especially when it gets into like, what's happening in CRM, what's happening in these systems. Like there's a lot of things going, going through that, but I do think that will get better and I'll jump off that, that soapbox here. But in terms of, um, you know, one of the things that I do with my sales teams and my sales leaders is like, I build a data pack. I, we commit, you know, at the beginning of beginning of the year and say like, what are, what are our operating metrics, right? Let's align on like, what are our operating metrics? What are our leading indicators? What are our lagging? Mm -hmm. And let's stand that up. Right. And that, that should not change drastically throughout the year. Right. I think you can add supplemental metrics to it, but like what you're looking at should become your baseline. And as a RevOps leader, I build those dashboards out to give them, here's your baseline. Um, and a lot of that's because I think it's that, you know, I'm going to call it analysis paralysis. If I were to go to 
a sales director and say like, go into Salesforce and build me a close rate report. If you've not built in Salesforce, you're not as comfortable with like how to do row level summaries, things like that, like that might be intimidating for you. But instead I get them, I get them the 90% of the base metrics where they have the ability then to apply filters and dimensions Mm -hmm. onto the 10%. I do think with, you know, AI and things like that coming in, there will be more like of, you know, to your point, natural language, ask questions about a deal, like have more of those conversations and say, hey, when did this happen? How did this happen? Why did this happen? Mm -hmm. Um, That they can start to use. I think as we get better at doing that in aggregate, that will start to tell us more. But you still are only as good as what you put in, right? Mm -hmm. And like what you're asking. And so you've got to understand your process and you've got to understand what you're you're doing there and the decision you're trying to make based on the response of the data, right? Um, It's, you know, you still might have, you know, apples and oranges and that's good, right? Like if I'm an enterprise sales rep and I'm looking at two industries together as a lead enterprise sales manager, I have a fintech and I have a healthcare you know, I consider that apples, apples and oranges, right? Um, and there's generally, it's fruit at the end of the day. It's enterprise sales, it's fruit, different industry. Mm-hmm. But if I'm trying to look at analysis from enterprise and SMB, that might be like apples and carrots, right? Mm-hmm. I, we're still, we're still a core food group, but like very different sales motions. So if yeah. you start trying to say like, what's my win rate? And I'm very vague in that. You could have very skewed data results just based on the again volume velocity conversion rates and aging that go into it so i do think like you still have to you still have to know how to ask the right question for the answer that you need that was very long-winded so sorry about that very thorough and i think that from the outside looking in there's this mystique about ops that you are adjacent to sales in a lot of ways you have a seat at the table to influence strategy and as a former seller i always felt curious about who are the people that make up the ops team. Like, where did they come from? What did they study? How did they fall into this career? Because it seems like it has all the fun of being in the war room as you're hatching the strategy without, I mean, being honest, without the volatility or the anxiety of carrying a quota with 50% of your take-home being variable. Help us better understand what are the personas or the prototypical profiles of folks that either want to be an ops and get into it straight away out of college? Or how do they take the right moves and the steps to get to the promised land that is ops? Or maybe along the way, is it the promised land, the good, the bad, the ugly? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a great question. I laugh. I laugh when you say like, they don't have the quota um, piece of it because I, I personally feel like I carry the burden of every salesperson's quota. Right. Mm. Um, and like just a key example of it this weekend was one of our cutoffs for, you know, an early order incentive. And was I online all weekend? Yes, I was to make sure that, you know, any of the salespeople who needed needed help closing something before the 15th had the support that they needed. Right. Mm-hmm. And so um, one of the, if you have if you're an ops person and you don't feel that, like, I'm going to say not accountability or responsibility, but that empathy to help make sure that yeah. you're supporting the salesperson, I would say you're probably in the wrong role. Right. Because like at the end of the day, um, I view I view revenue operations specifically. And um, I think I probably get a lot of flack for this, but as a support function, it is operations is a support function. My job is to support the business and help make sure we can achieve our revenue goals. That is what my job is. That's what my team's job is. It's how do we create, you know, the right process, the predictability and where we're going to meet the business needs. It is it is strategic, but it is also a support role. 
period. And if you're not viewing RevOps as a support role, like I think you've got a big, big gap, right? Like my stakeholders are the salespeople. They're the marketing people. They're the CS people, right? They're the go-to-market team. Um, and so I think that that is really important. Now, that doesn't mean that you should let every salesperson walk all over you and boss you around and tell you what to do. And you should just do the things for them. Trust me, nine times out of 10, if somebody slacks me, they're getting pointed to a Notion document with an SOP. And they're going to go figure it out how to do and self-enable um, on their own. But my role is to make sure that they have that documentation, they have that information, they have the right training and the right understanding to be able to do their job. Um, in terms of like, how do you get into operations? I So my first my first job, right? My first internship was for Blue Cross Blue Shield. Um, they asked me if I could run access databases. And I said, sure, I'm a marketing major. I've taken one MIS class. I'm <laughs> sure I can do this. Um, it was a great experience. And I'm eternally grateful that somebody took a role, um, a risk on me when I had no idea what I was doing. But um, you know, started really working in sales operations at that time, helping them do RFP databases, yeah. right? So how do I how do I make a better RFP? How do I make our RFP process more efficient? How do I not answer the same question a hundred times because I have this repository of questions that you know are getting reviewed by compliance and staying up to date, so we know what we're needing to do and like. Um, then moved into email marketing, right? And that's like literally how old I am is that like I was in Silver Pop email marketing um, and I had the joy of going through like the email to marketing automation to marketing operations yeah. transformation. I worked for Marketo, um, was on their professional services team, had, you know, again, the opportunity to work for several different companies and understand just how their sales and marketing team marketing teams operated. Um, and that would be like the early 2010 ish timeframe when the whole, you know, narrative was like marketing and sales hate each other, which like, I still think they do. Um, to some extent, they don't really hate each other, right? But they're always, you're always going to look for somebody to blame. So it's been really interesting then to watch RevOps come into this, right? Mm -hmm. I think RevOps was really built off of that, that point of friction of like, hey, we have these silos, how do you fix silos, right? How do you break down silos? Well, you build actual like, authority and accountability. And that was something that like marketing and sales didn't have. They did not have any sort of accountability to have to work together, right? And so if you're setting goals separately, if you're driving towards different different end targets, why would you play together, right? Like why why would you? I don't need you, you don't need me. Mm -hmm. Well, actually we do, but like that's not how we're getting incentivized. So I think you've started to see revenue operations or, you know, just even go to market operations, whatever you want to call it, come in to say, like, help us knock these silos down. Mm -hmm. And I do think it started off as more of like a tactical function of like, hey, you know, we're going to kind of bring people together, work on the same systems, help drive things. And now we're seeing it start to become, again, more of the strategic, but also supportive um, components of this coming together of like, hey, how how do we align our resources? How do yeah. we do what we need to do for the customer? in the right way? How do we look at, you know, look at a go-to-market scorecard versus just a marketing or a sales scorecard collectively? Helpful. You've talked about the sacred four or five KPIs, volume, velocity, conversion, aging, maybe activity as well. And I'm curious, because we're now living in what seems to be kind of the height of RevOps, you guys are rock stars and you've got a big nuclear vote when salespeople are trying to push the next thing 
in an organization's tech stack, what are the messages when I have to think you are bombarded constantly every day by the next Tom, Dick, or Harry tech vendor and B2B seller? What are the signals when you receive an outbound prospecting message that make you say, huh, I'll take that call. And I guess in the same breath, what makes your skin crawl when you read a message like, oh God, I would never answer that sales email. Yeah, I will tell you, like, I generally don't answer sales emails. And like, I hate, I hate saying that. Um, so if I, if I'm, you know, generally, like, I, I kind of laugh because I'm like, rev ups really aren't your buyers, right? Like we, we are, but we're, we're not right. Like I'm, you know, if we see a problem, like we're going to go look at the solution. One of the best ways for me to take something seriously from a vendor perspective yeah. is the VP of sales or the VP of marketing or like head of CS or somebody comes and says, Hey, have you, have you heard of this solution or saw this solution? Right. Here's kind of the business need. And they're almost making more of the recommendation. But you have like a nuclear where, vote. You could totally hijack. Yeah, it, right? yeah. 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 But I mean, but to me, it's, you know, it's the business coming to me with telling me that, hey, there's this problem, right, that I, I'm seeing or feeling and maybe I haven't seen it yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we're looking at like, where does this fit in with it, within our plan or within our, our pieces here? And as, as a RevOps leader, one of the things that I do is like, I have a tech stack map, right? Like, hey, here's our stack. I make sure that it sits in my walk around deck, like everyone in sales knows what we have um, and how we use it too. Because a lot of times some of it's just we don't realize we have something that we have yeah. and can use. But in terms of, you know, the best way for me to probably want to talk to a vendor is like having an introduction from somebody on the team or yeah. internally that's saying like, hey, have we thought about this? Have we looked at this? Um, flag those pieces up. Generally, the like, cold, please don't LinkedIn message me. If you LinkedIn message me, I will never see it and it will go far, far away and not not be a thing. Um, you know, and it's a lot of times it's like, I know what's out there and I know kind of what a good amount of like the tools in the space are doing. And I'm pretty abreast on it. It's like pump out good content, share good information, like have meaningful um meaningful information right um out there good content good customer stories like those things and it's like when it becomes a need and i realize it like you're generally a brand that i'm aware of you know and it's it's kind of that whole like timing thing it's like i know how to find the tool when i need it but it's like if i don't quite need it yet i want to be respectful of respectful of time right um and i think that's that's the big thing so it's like if you're gonna send cold emails like it's not a bad thing to do just make sure it's it's relevant and like timely and know that it's like good to like get your brand out there, understand the value, but like, don't expect it to be a sale. Don't email me on a cadence every three days at the exact same time. Like don't call me after hours, like know what time zone I'm in. We have enough of that data. Like those types of things are like, yeah, those are the things that will make you make a good product seem really bad. Mm, I like that line. Well, in service of avoiding those common pitfalls. It's a, it's a healthy segue into our last and final question, which Molly, if you've listened to the podcast before, you know that we ask this question of everyone that comes into the Gong Studios, but I think it might be a fun tie back um, to your last answer, which is that if you could describe sales in just one word, what would it be? And, and maybe you could also answer it. What would it not be? Which is sending you an email or calling you after hours. But uh, for the purposes of continuity for the whole anthology of episodes we've had on Reveal, what is the one word you'd use to describe sales? Oh, man. 
I mean, from my perspective, sorry, you're not getting one word. You're going to get a sentence, but I'll get to a one word. Like the way that I look at sales, right? Like sales are my partner, right? And what I do, um, I view sales as, as partners, right? They're Mm -hmm. partners to our customers. They're partners to marketing, you know, like they are, they're partners in the organization. Um, and they, they should view themselves as partners too, right? I think sometimes, you know, I have a lot of empathy for anyone who is in sales. Cause when you think about having a company number, right? Like you hit it or you don't hit it, who, who gets blamed and who gets celebrated. And so I think you've got to take some of that, some of that perspective too, as, as, you know, operations or as other teams is like, you know, they're, they're ultimately the ones who the fingers get pointed at when things go really poorly or when things go really well. Um, And so making sure that you can help support them and have that right partnership with them is super critical. And that's not to say like, that should be how it all works in business, but it's how it works, right? They're the ones who have the dollar over their head and they're either hitting it or they don't. Well, Molly, for all of your efforts in helping to unpack and demystify what is the, I won't say the dark art, the absolutely necessary, essential, pivotal groundbreaking art that is RevOps from your time, both at Sound Agriculture as the head of RevOps there, but then also the vast experience you've had throughout other organizations, which I did not realize started with you doing, uh, what you say? It was sort of database Ac- cleaning. Access database. Yeah. You've really seen yeah. it all. Well, on behalf of everyone at Reveal, thank you so much for so freely and liberally sharing all of your wisdom. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Molly Bodensteiner, the head of revenue operations at Sound Agriculture. Thanks so much, Molly. Thanks so much, Danny. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Reveal. If you want more resources on how revenue intelligence can help you create high-performing sales teams, head on over to gong.io. And if you like what you heard, come on, give us that five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you may listen.